Welcome to another edition of Within WordPress, the podcast that you like to listen to because you're learning a lot about not just WordPress, but also about the people behind. Uh, today's guest is Niels Dublau. I know Niels for quite a while, but for most people, you are entirely unknown. Um, so probably good to start with, uh, with an introduction and uh, welcome to the podcast. So I'm uh, Niels, and uh, thank you for having me at Empress. As you said, we know each other for quite a while. Yeah. I think I first met you at WordCamp Netherlands 2016. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Utrecht, uh, I was like, there, there's this giant walking around in the volunteer's skirt. Who's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and as you said, I'm not famous in the WordPress world, but in the Dutch community, I try to be visible and try to contribute. Yep. I do talk a lot at um, WordPress and WordCamp Netherlands, and I've spoken at some local meetups. And I've once done a session at WordCamp Europe, which was going to be the first one in Porto. But it was moved to an online-only version, so I had a lightning talk about logging. Yeah. So uh, it was a bit disappointing to have an online audience uh, just for that, because I was really excited to be on stage at WordCamp Europe. Didn't go that way. Yeah. That was disappointing for a lot of people, I would say. Um, myself <laughs> included, being on the organizing team, um, I have zero zero desire to organize an online event. I don't mind being there as a presenter, but I don't enjoy being responsible for the whole online thing. And uh, so from an organizer's standpoint, that that addition was disappointing as well. Yeah. But yeah. And I believe like in the, in the grand scheme of things, it was like a, a, a good addition. Like you're being confronted with a lot of changing situations like yeah. can it go on can it go on a lot of uncertainty yeah and i think for a first online event it was it was amazing yeah and they had so many good sessions uh, the technical uh, uh, parts worked yeah i think everyone was was like oh this is something new let's try it yeah so from that perspective it was uh, interesting but i'm i'm glad we had uh, worked at Europe in Athens uh, uh, months ago. I agree. And uh, it was much better this way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The interaction is quite different if you're in real life um, versus uh, staring at a screen. However, you know, um, it, it, this works, but it's it's just different. It's a different energy for me. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you said... Um, so we, we met in 2016. I think I knew of you before that, but, um, what I, what I'd really like to have the listeners and, and, and viewers know is, uh, you do work within WordPress. You have a, I would say a very special role, uh, and, uh, a very nice expertise in that role. So maybe, maybe, maybe share a little bit about that because. The company you work for, work at, um, has a very interesting profile. Right. 
So I'm CTO at Level Level, which is a bespoke uh, WordPress agency from the Netherlands, from Rotterdam. And I've um, grown into this uh, leadership role in the past year. So before that, I was uh, from a development background. Yep. Been programming since as long as I can remember, since I was a kid. Um, like uh, programming chatbots for IRC uh, with my friends today. And some at 13, 14 years old, trying stuff, having fun. Yeah. And uh, I, I got into the, the whole programming thing a bit by, by accident. Because for me, it was just a hobby, something to have fun, something to do with friends. And I, I think I did it like casually up until 18 years old. And then I lost interest a bit. Uh, and I was looking for a job and, and this uh, outsourcing company was sending me to me to all kinds of, yeah, uh, unrelated jobs, cleaning garages and, uh, doing data entry, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Different time. Then, different time. Yeah. And then I had, a, um, uh, for the, for the elections in the Netherlands, I was caught up to count votes. And I did this for, for the evening. And then the next day, this guy who was in the outsourcing agency, he called me and he said, like, you can program. I said, yeah, I can. What about it? And he said, why haven't we sent you to any programming jobs? And I'm like, uh, is it, is it more than fun? Is it, can you, can you make a living of this? Can you, and I was like, well, that's wait, funny. people want to pay for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, I think it was. When I, when I got my first programming job, uh, and rolled from there. And so, so that's how uh, that eventually I, I ended up at uh, level level. I think, uh, it's now eight years ago and the, the interview was with, uh, Taka, who is the founder of level level. He's, uh, yep. founded the company 17 years ago. And the interview was drinking beer at the cafe and like <laughs> seeing if it's the cultural match and if it is, then, then welcome aboard. Let's, let's do this, <laughs> which was an interesting experience. That I can imagine. Yeah. Hmm. So when I started at level level, uh, it was my first experience with, uh, professional WordPress before I set up some, some blogs and like some, some hobby stuff, but first time professionally working with WordPress. Mm -hmm. And from there, we developed the agency from, I think it was uh, eight full-time employees at that time to two now, which is a uh, pretty cool growth to experience from the, from the first row. Yeah. Uh, now we've got a really exciting team working to make the the web a bit better. Uh, we do a lot of accessibility work. We yep. do a lot of performance work. Uh, we make uh, bespoke themes for uh, government, semi-government, uh, NGOs, uh, insurance companies, all kind of uh, uh, clients. And um, yeah, it's been a, been an exciting time, and more to come. Yeah. So I. I... I was uh, I was hinting at the uh, accessibility stuff is where uh, level level is uh, 
I would say more than a little bit invested in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Obviously you have, uh, I think one of the premier accessibility experts, uh, working for you, Rian Riedfeld. Um, what, what I like about, uh, what level level does is you're not making this an optional thing. Yeah. It's at one point, uh, a conscious decision to do it like that, or did that sort of just roll on as it things happened or how did that go? So, um, in the beginning, when we were uh, selling WordPress, you had to convince people that WordPress was a, a platform ready for enterprise, right? Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, uh, worries about security, about scaling, about performance, this kind of stuff. Yep. And in every sales pitch, you needed to talk about why WordPress would be hacked if you do it right, you know? And as, uh, the, the market learned that this isn't a big of an issue, um, the, 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 the sales pitch changed to like, uh, it's not just professional platform, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a community platform. It's good. It's open source. It's, uh, yeah, for everyone, by everyone. Yep. And this sales pitch, like for everyone, by everyone naturally leads to everyone must be able to participate. Yeah. Uh, so, so in this, um, we were in this trajectory and then Rion, uh, approach us like, uh, is this something you want to do? And uh, we were already selling it like, uh, um, as you said, as an optional thing before. Yeah. And then we said, like, it's, it's doesn't make sense to have it optional because you were, if you don't do it, you're, you're excluding a large part of your potential uh, customer base. So I think in the Netherlands, it's around 15 to 20% that's either permanently or, uh, uh, yeah, uh, situ situationally disabled. So yep. permanently, like everyone can imagine what this means, but there might be some situations in which you uh, perceive a handicap, like uh, maybe you're in a busy train and you could, can't put the uh, music on, so you need to rely on subtitles, or maybe, uh, you're walking around with a kid and you can only w use one hand, or maybe someone's screaming for attention and you can't focus on something you need to do. So there's all types of, uh, yeah, less permanent, but still very real ways where I want to focus on being as successful as possible. That's an interesting extra distinction. I think a lot of people are not fully aware that that's also part of accessibility. Uh, I think people tend to think, oh, you know, if you're, you have a visual impairment, um, maybe you're colorblind or, you know, things of that nature, yeah. those, make, those make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And, and obviously that's a percentage. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but to also include the types of scenarios that you just highlighted is, yeah, 
I mean, I, I was kind of aware of it, but hearing you uh, list them up as such, um, I think that, that, that to me already is like, oh yeah, okay. Well, yeah, of course. That's also a thing. So there's, there's also this, uh, aspect, at least in the Netherlands, but I think, uh, it's in more countries around the world of the population getting older and yep. living longer, but at the same time, when you get older, your reading ability gets worse. Maybe you get hard of hearing, uh, so you need a hearing aid. Maybe you get less mobile. Maybe you get uh, less savvy with small devices. Yep. So it's not just something that uh, happens to someone else. It happens to everyone. It does. Everyone eventually is going to need an accessible environment. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. So did the, um, um, uh, you, 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 you're building sites for, for government, seven million government NGOs, um, that, uh, used to be part of my clientele as well. Um, I think I have a few, few clients left in, in that area, but what I remember from that is that they had a very strict, uh, a policy that you needed to adhere to, like this is a, these are the standards that we want you to make use of. Yeah, were you um, motivated externally in that direction as well by by uh, requests from clients, or is it the other way around that you sort of led the path and said, "Dear client, this is this is where we need to go. Um, let me let us help you uh, get to the, get on that path and and find the right." Yeah. Way. So so and. Uh, 2018, it became mandatory for Dutch government entities to be yep. accessible. Yep. And uh, I think uh, from 2020, they actually like uh, um, penalties to governments that don't comply, right? Yeah. Uh, um, before that, we were already pushing in the direction of being accessible because it makes sense from a business standpoint to do this. And also if you're doing it in the early stages of design or creating a project, it doesn't actually cost that much extra. Yeah. It's not really an extra hurdle to, to take. It's just part of the design requirements. So, so. The earlier you pick it up, the, the less expensive it becomes to, to make changes afterward, like this doesn't comply or this should be changed or whatever. So for, for government entities, we would get these requests afterward anyway. So why not preempt them? Why not get ahead of the, the, the things you're going to have to change anyway? Yep. Uh, and, uh, like you referenced that the. Um, at the start, that it's uh, not an option anymore yep. in, in our product and in, in what we're doing. Um, but from 2025 uh, forward, it's going to be mandatory for pretty much everyone. Yeah. In, in the uh, European Union, at least, uh, because there's going to be um, European, European Accessibility Act. Uh, going into uh, work, which is a standardized legislation of which guidelines 
e-commerce, every, everyone selling or having a commercial website on the internet should follow. Yep. So, uh, everyone has to comply in about two years. There's no option anymore. So when's the time to start learning? Yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a, that's a huge implication. Um, I, 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 I have a slight, um, hesitance is not the word, but like a little, little bit of a skepsis in terms of how much of this is going to be enforced. Cause if we look at GDPR type stuff, um, yeah. that's also European mandatory, uh, and for, uh, it is mandatory and, uh, but it's not enforced. It's like, it's maybe sometimes a little bit here and there, but, um, uh, cookies, GDPR, properly taken care of, it's not happening to the level that I say uh, it instills fear into the whatever person has that yeah. website, right? It's, it's, we know it needs to be done, but, you know, we can get away with it. So you still do. You expect this to work differently or how does that, how do you see that? So the, the Dutch government hasn't yet... made any any recommendations about how to enforce these these laws but i i would imagine that it's going to be much the same as the jbr legislation um, so i think that means uh, it really applies to businesses making more than two million a year yep. in revenue and the fine is up to four percent on revenue in the states that it works in so it, it it's more of a a way to force the, the big players to comply yep. yep which which they should because every year we do a research project to the biggest uh, e-commerce shops in the netherlands yep seen them. which has some Dutch brands, but also some, some international brands. And it's insane to me that companies like Amazon or Zalando aren't accessible. Yeah. They have the resources easily. They have the resources but and still they, they can't, they, yeah. So, so part of what's happening because we've had some interviews with companies, uh, in the research project and what they're saying is. There's a mismatch uh, between different departments within the same company. So there's a marketing team or a CRO team, which yep. is running experiments and their finding in the experiment is that, uh, things are, uh, converting better if you're making some text light gray, but at the same time, the design team is like, what are you doing? This is like a, a contrast problem. This is. Yeah, yeah. This is unacceptable, right? So there's multiple, uh, uh, yeah, multiple interests colliding or or conflicting, uh, which causes problems for these big entities. But if you have to, you have to. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting tension you uh, you you outline the um, whatever you want from a design perspective whatever you want from a conversion perspective are not necessarily for, I mean, not for all web building companies is not always the same thing. 
Um, yep. And then you have marketing who also has a particular say in how they think things should look. It's, um, it's a big mix that has a lot of different angles that, you know, um, it's also technical debt. That's also very often a cause of why things aren't picked up because if you're, if you're, can you give an example of what technical debt means? Um, I mean, all right. I'm, I'm assuming so, people listening know what technical debt mean, but perhaps even explain that a little bit. So, uh, if you're making changes to code, there's multiple ways of getting the same thing done, but there might be uh, one route that's cheaper or easier for a quick experiment or whatever. But it gets harder to change in the long run. So it's harder to maintain this piece of code if it's written quickly or you're, you're picking a, a certain framework, which might stop getting updated or maybe you're working with CSS variables, but they're, they're ballooning, right? Uh, if you've ever, ever tried this, like at the start, you're going to have, uh, eight colors. And at the end of a project, you're going to have 40. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's, it's and the, the larger in scope a project becomes and the, the more shortcuts have been taken while developing it, the harder it becomes to make future changes. And a lot of these platforms are, are huge in complexity. And they're also, uh, they're, they're a date testing. So there's multiple variations for a single page mm -hmm. and it becomes so hard to see the full picture and, and make changes quickly, because if you're changing something on one page, it might break something on the other page. So, and, and it comes really hard, especially for um, companies that don't have uh, the technical expertise in-house to keep up with, with these developments. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, when you're uh, using the, the WCAG uh, 2.1 or 2.0 uh, uh, guidelines, they're not changing that much that fast. So, uh, the, the, the basis of uh, accessibility, which is you have to be able to see stuff. You have to be able to interact with stuff. You have to be able uh, to to contact and, and company behind them. Yep. These things haven't changed. They've been refined. They've been the, the basics are the same a bit, but the basics have been the same for a decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in other words, uh, the best day uh, um, to start was yesterday and the second best day is today. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So from a, um, from a technical point, you are, you are CTO. So that means a chief technical officer. That means you have a lot to say about the technical direction the company takes. I'm assuming, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's the, the way technical decisions get made at level level or been in two ways. Uh, I listen to what people, people here on the floor are saying, like, we want to use this technology. We want to, uh, 
uh, go in this direction. Yeah. Uh, we want to use this uh, provider or framework and I analyze the implications of introducing this technology and then we go forward. So um, there's sometimes officially there's a request for change document yep. in which proposal is made. How would this change impact the company? Uh, what are the resources that are, that are required to implement this? Um, and then we move forward. At the same time, uh, sometimes you just have to make a choice <laughs> as a manager, which is not my strong point, or sometimes you just have to say no. Yep. Which is also uh, R, another way to come. But um, like the, the, those are the two ways that. Uh, that, that, Things can dump. that last one is a good example of, I don't think anybody likes that per se, right? So if, if, um, there, there's a way of, of, uh, if you're forcing yourself to be authoritative, that's, um, I don't care if you feel like you are authoritative person or, or not, that I don't think that ever works well, um, in terms of, um, you, 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 you have an idea, you want other people to understand your idea and eventually start liking that idea. Um, and ideally you want to, you want to win people over, right? With arguments and examples and, and logic as to why that is the right decision. Just taking the decision and cutting everybody out in terms of how you got there. I'm not saying that in terms of, uh, satisfaction is much less than, uh, somebody says, this is a problem we need to solve and we apparently need to solve it repeatedly. So we need to think of a framework for this. So let's yeah. all, let's all see what we can find as a framework. And then, um, there's a group decision and you ultimately make the decision. That's a different route. Um, yeah. I can see how that would not be always like, Hey, this is my favorite thing to do in the, the job, the technical part. Sure. But, uh, yeah. So, so this is all also like, um, you talk about this with uh, James Giroux, I think Giroux. his name is, uh, um, about growing from a technical role into a leadership role. Yeah, yeah. And that it's that and it's it's not the same thing. Uh, uh, for me, it was like going from high school to college. Like in high school, you know what what's expected of you, and you're you're like uh, the biggest kid in the classroom. And then suddenly you're going to college and you have to reinvent yourself. You have to do something else. You're uh, in an unknown space and you have to think about like, well, how am I going to do this? I haven't been to school for this. I, I don't know how to resolve these conflicts. Yeah, but you're <laughs> so that, that's really been a, a gigantic learning curve for me. Yeah. Uh, very exciting as well, because, uh, I like learning new, new things, but it's, uh, it's fun and exciting and also quite hard and, and, uh, I don't know what you call this, uncomfortable sometimes, but well, growth, that's, that's making fun. I think that, I think it's important to understand that growth in of itself is uncomfortable. If growth feels like it's a very comfortable thing to do, then I don't think you're really growing. Um, yeah. My, my, uh, the podcast you're referring to is with uh, James Giroux, and uh, we indeed talked about how someone who is great at their role from a technical standpoint doesn't necessarily 
uh, translate into a great manager. Those two are not the same, um, nor should they be treated as such. Um, I think it's pretty rare for somebody going from a senior technical role to actual management and having the skills for that. That is a very small subset of senior uh, people, whether that's technical or not. So, so to be honest, I don't have the skill set for this, but I'm learning. <laughs> I'm trying I, to get I, I think you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this position. You have part of that skill set. There's perhaps uh, a, a portion that you still need to get comfortable with or learn, um, broaden yourself in or deepen yourself in, in terms of knowledge, but you have an innate ability to do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this role. I uh, I know uh, I know Tacker well enough to know that he wouldn't put you in that role if that quality wasn't already there. Yeah, sure. But uh, but yeah, that's uh, it, it, you 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 sort of led on in 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 like how you kind of stumbled into code, uh, then finding uh, uh, reward was actually an option. Uh, <laughs> yeah, other people paying you for it. Um, when you moved to WordPress uh, for um, like truly starting building complex stuff, what was the, I'm curious, if, is there a, a moment when you went like, ah, okay, I get it. This is how it's supposed to be done. Uh, so at, at the previous company I worked for, we had a pretty small development team of uh, three, three people. And we were very straight in making decisions to making our own choices of how to work. Yep. And there I, I went from being novice developer or hobbyist developer into really learning it as a craft. Yep. And, um, after that, when I, when I moved to, to level level and to WordPress, the from day one, the thing that struck me as awesome with WordPress was uh, that I didn't have to validate everything from a forum perspective, right? So if you're working in, in your PHP and you're making a form, you have to check every single thing it's required. Is it the correct length? Is it this? Is it that? Yep. And um, when I came uh, in here, we were using across uh, custom fields yep. and yep. it does everything in this, this, uh, direction for it. Like I want to uh, get a coordinate from, from the, the user. Right. So here's a map and they can click it. This would cost me, I think, uh, 20 hours development before when doing it all yourself and making a good user experience for it. Yep. And within WordPress, it's like five minutes and you're done. <laughs> so this was, uh, like the, the power of WordPress, uh, which from day one, it was obvious, uh, but at the same time, at previous company, we were using some workflows that are, uh, accepted in the, in the EHP world. Yeah. Um, like uh, using a composer to manage your dependencies and using a deep module uh, or, or uh, continuous deployments instead of 
like logging into a server and copy pasting a zip file. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, when I came in uh, to Love Level, there's been quite a few things that I was like, we can do this better. This doesn't have to be a manual workflow. This doesn't have to be like so, some some individual heroics to keep a website up straight. Yeah. <laughs> we can we can like structure this and and auto add this. So that took, I think, about a year to get some of these standard workflows into this. And then from that point on, we started working on uh, code reviews. We started working on automated testing. We started working on uh, like uh, infrastructure as code. Uh, Truly professional. Right. Taking it to to another level. And um, Ooh. I think we've succeeded in, in getting a pretty good uh, ecosystem or, or technical environment here at level level, which allows us to manage a lot of projects quickly or e efficiently. Yep. I think you would have to, uh, as soon as you start growing as a company, you need to have your processes in place. Otherwise, you're never going to be efficient. So you're yeah. wasting huge amounts of hours. Um, you, you have to have processes in place. Um, if, if you look at the, um, the stuff happening in WordPress, right, that is uh, uh, available to us nowadays, we've seen, I, I'd say we've seen a huge uptick of um, possibilities that, are, you know, um, in code at our disposal. And most recently, obviously, the block editor which the uh, WordPress 6.3 is impending, which will hugely improve, in my opinion, on the site editor. So the, uh, the full site editing themes, I think we're still calling them. I'm, I'm unsure yeah, correct wording here is, but yeah. What is your opinion on that in terms of what WordPress brings to, brings to the table over the years? Is that in line with what you as a, as an agency building high profile sites for governments and with accessibility in mind, are we, is WordPress providing you what it needs to provide you there? Or are you building your whole subset of tools and systems and frameworks around that? So you sort of circumvent that. I know that's a long question, but. Yeah. Uh, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, we've been working with a good bird, the block editor. Uh, since it was in beta, yep. so uh, before five point zero came out, we were building our own website in the in the blog editor, uh, and I think it's it's one of the best developments to come to WordPress uh, since I've I've been in the WordPress ecosystem. Yep, um, I I couldn't imagine uh, not having it. With all of its flaws, yep. it's still like a superior user experience for someone editing to be able to see what they're doing and seeing the results in the editor, I, I, uh, as opposed to uh, having to preview, wait, preview, wait, preview, wait, but actually seeing what you're doing. At the same time, um, there's a lot of freedom uh, that's by default enabled within the block editor that allows 
a customer to make a circus of the, their website, right? So, um, we're, we're a full service agency and we have a design in-house and we have user uh, interaction experts in-house and we have uh, accessibility experts in-house and these all have a crucial role in creating the website and the layout and the, the uh, flows that a user takes and a customer journey takes, yeah. um, which customers pay us for. And, uh, if you then deliver them a website in which they can, uh, create their own color palettes or, uh, go off grid and create their own columns and style, or even like creating their own, uh, full signed editing experience. Yeah, uh, it, it's a bit like what 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 is the experience you're of the the expertise you're paying for? So yeah, uh, where 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 we're adding value with our expertise, we're often like circumventing or disabling features in 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 the editor. Um, but at the same time, it's it's bringing really exciting. A workflow for users to create and edit pages. And I think if you, if you are looking into the future and you're going to maybe get a collaborative editing in the future, mm -hmm. which allows multiple people to edit posts and, and work together on uh, creating an art school or leaving in, in content comments on, on pieces of content, uh, within the editor, that was something that wouldn't be possible at all with the classic editor. It no, would no. be out of the question. Not by so all. That, that's a very exciting development that I'm really looking forward to having. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's a bit of mixed bind in how we're using it. Yeah. Do you disable a lot? Like, would you, would you say on maybe not just the block editor, but in general, like, uh, clients ending up, ending up with the site, do you consciously say, uh, okay, this type of client, we're just gonna turn a few things off. Do you go in? Uh, that, do you project of like course. Yeah? yeah. 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 Because, uh, even without considering the block enter or full site editing, editing or whatever, uh, we don't allow the customer to install their own plugins yeah. or don't allow them to edit files on the server or because we're managing this for, we're giving guarantees that a site functions in a certain way. I'm of the and same opinion. Um, so, so we have to, uh, block some, some of these things down to, to guarantee correct behavior of the website. Also, we have very rigorous testing workflows for updating websites, updating plugins, updating dependencies. Yep. We, we, we create websites with connections to maybe uh, 10 outside tools. So we are monitoring that these things work well. Uh, yeah, we, we need to limit the customer's ability to some point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm to I be able to give the guarantees. I'm, I'm asking because I, I also know a few um, companies build high-end stuff that just generally still give a lot of freedom to the end client because the client sort of demands it. Like, 
I need mm. this for whatever compliance reasons they can they can think of and um, and then I go look look at some of my clients and I go like they they can you give me FTP access please and I go no but here's a question for you why would you want it yeah and there's always a, a thing that they come up with that makes sense in their head because they've been told whatever. And you go, no, no, we have we have a better solution for that because you're paying me to manage your site, right? You're paying me to maintain it, keep it up and running. Um, so yeah, I, I I I I tend to leave the dashboard fairly accessible um, uh, in terms of what's available to them. Um, but yeah, with full site editor, especially the um, I I I haven't checked if the um, uh, if you're an admin, then it doesn't always make sense for for that administrator to have full access to the site editor. I think that's something that's becoming a little bit more difficult to control. Uh, yeah. Then you would want them to have access to the menus. So. Uh, so so what are uh, features that you're looking forward to going to? future versions of WordPress or something well, the, you on the roadmap then you're going to, this is a game change. Translations. I, for the longest time, think we're running way behind on um, looking at the multilingual world of WordPress, which is huge, which is far more than 50% of uh, all install bases are uh, mm -hmm. in a different language. And I don't actually know what the percentages of the, the the number of multilingual sites are, mm -hmm. but there are many. Like there's yeah. countries that have it as an obligation. Um, Switzerland being the prime example, but there's, uh, there's obviously Belgium. Um, there's also um, here where I live in the northern part of the Netherlands, Friesland, we have uh, government sites in Frisian and in Dutch. So it's very close to home. Um, yeah, that, that to me is the biggest, big thing. I, I like this because you refer to phase three of uh, the Gutenberg project where the collaborative uh, part is being um, explored and implemented. Uh, yeah. I have less with that. I'm more curious about uh, phase four, which is the internet internationalization uh, as a whole. Um, yeah. Short term, I'm very excited for 6.3 actually. 6.3 brings, that's the third edition of WordPress that brings huge performance benefits. And I love performance. I love it when stuff is fast. Um, and yeah. I, I like seeing this as a pattern now, like the uh, WordPress core performance team, what they keep outputting on a regular basis. Uh, Johnny Harris, uh, my first uh, uh, guest on the podcast, um, being a good example of, uh, of uh, a good representative of that team. Yeah, I think I think you talk about uh, uh, WordPress uh, post meta being lazy loaded in. Yeah, it is. Yeah, in six point three. So yeah, that has a huge for a for a very large array of sites. Yeah, not having to have everything in memory from, yeah. uh, but be able to lazy load it as you go as you actually interact with it. You know, it's, it's things like that, that just makes sense. Like, like, why, why didn't we do that before? It's all, you know, different focuses. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, 
Well, uh, that's, that's part of it. Like taking uh, the performance baseline of yeah. WordPress to a higher level. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the same time, I'm also, also noticing that the uh, biggest challenges that we run into with performance is just stupid stuff. <laughs> sorry, sorry for, for being uh, rude about it, but. No, but it, I think I need to have an example to confirm what your what your subset of stupid is. But um, I can tell what you mean. So, so uh, some time ago, I I had to debug a plugin uh, because we're using Redis uh, on our website. So we're using Till Cruise plugin. Yep, which you also had on the podcast. Yep. Uh, um, and we were seeing, uh, like six megabytes payloads going into Redis and out of Redis on every single request. Wow. So we're like, why is, is the website downloading six, six megabytes from Redis on every single request? So we're debugging and there's this plugin, uh, that's writing log files into the options table with auto load on. So there's just a four megabyte, megabyte option in the WordPress options table that it's loading on every single request, <laughs> which is. That doesn't scale. That doesn't scale. No. So that, this, this is an example, like there's a lot of low hanging fruit within the ecosystem. And at the same time, that, that's why WordPress is interesting because you just contact person who's building it and go like, we found something and you might want to change it. Here's some suggestions and maybe I'm assuming, the I'm assuming they didn't do it intentionally, like with an idea, but no. that made sense. No, no, no. It is, it's just a lack of knowing better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just, uh, uh, what, what's the easiest way to do something here? This works. And we're, we're yeah, testing well, it on a site with street posts. So it works, right? This is a great then, uh, technical debt built in right there. Yeah. So, so we had a, another example, which is like, um, stupid when you find out, but at the same time, it's a scenario that doesn't, I, I, I expect it not to be on the standard list things to test, right? Yeah. So, um, on our, on our bigger clients, we're horizontally scaling the sites. So this means that we're using multiple web servers to uh, render a single site. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing this, you're dealing with, uh, uploads being on multiple different servers. So what we're doing is we're creating a network share that all servers connect to, and they're storing their uploads in this directory, right? Um, so what was happening was there, there's this plugin and it writes uh, a directory within the uploads folder yeah. with a semi-random name and it puts an index.php file in the root of the folder so you can uh, access the folder accidentally. Like if you're a bad guy and you guess the name of the folder, you don't want to see what's in it, right? Yep. 
So this works on ordinary WordPress installations, but as soon as you're moving the uploads folder into uh, Amazon, <laughs> like the, the S3 buckets, yep. and there's uh, a symlink going from a deeper folder back up, it's going into an endless loop of trying to write index the PHP folders. And we were seeing like this sawtooth profile of memory being eaten. Yeah. Like every single time that a Chrome was starting, it was trying to do this, getting into an endless loop and then being chilled and trying to reproduce it locally, can do it. So uh, at the end, uh, we ended up uh, profiling it with PHP, uh, PHP spy on the live server. Yep. So what it does is it, it takes snapshot, the snapshots of what PHP is doing at certain intervals. Yep. And then stacking these on top of each other. So, oh, it's uh, rendering page now. Oh, it's grabbing a form now. Oh, it's uh, grabbing something from database now. And it takes these snapshots like for a minute, stacks everything on top of each other and then says, it was mostly doing this. Yep. And then it was like uh, 99% doing writing a file of index.php to this. Yeah. Why, why, why is this happening? What's the doing? That's a cool tool. PHP spy. Yeah. So um, I'm sure to add it in the, in the, in the show notes. If you, if you have a um, regular profiler that you're running locally, yeah. you're, you're tracing every single function call Yeah. and it puts a little bit of overhead on every single call that's being made. So everything gets a bit slower and this ends up being like two to three times slower than without profiling. Yeah. The thing about PHP spy is that it doesn't monitor every function going in and out, but it just like to, uh, 20 times per second thinks a snapshot of what is it doing now. What is it doing now? What is it doing now? So it's for live environments where you don't want to increase load three to four times. This is awesome because it, with really few added resources, you can get an insight into what your production server is doing. That's a cool suggestion because um, oftentimes people tell me like, you know, uh, we need to figure out on the server what, what's happening and they, they'll suggest something like uh, New Relic. And I know New Relic doesn't necessarily have the memory and resource footprint as it used to, but it's still mm. adding to us. If if a, if you have a busy busy site, it's it, it's yeah. it's definitely adding to your footprint. That um, doesn't always make sense to have such a thing uh, hogging your yeah. resources, uh, even oh. especially when there's a solution like PHP Spy that would solve the same problem and not have the resource issues. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's um, a bit of a level, uh, a multi-level debarring process that we use. Like, um, we're we're using Sentry yep. to uh, uh, create traces of about one percent of all requests going to the website. Yep. So we got them to have background monitoring of what was the performance. Uh, at a certain time, going 90 days uh, uh, in, into the past. So if something suddenly gets slow or a customer uh, writes an email like uh, 
things became slow, we can see like, is this something that's happening now or has this always been like this? And is this just like an, an instance that they're uh, considering? And then we have uh, like the, the, the standards, MySQL dumps slow, like slow logs, PHP uh, logs that are constantly gathering data and we have a workflow where we can increase the number of traces that we're doing. So if there's a performance problem, we can up the number of traces to see which kind of processes are taking most of the resources. Yep. And, uh, sometimes we install tools like query monitor on websites to get a bit more live view of what's actually happening or yep. what resources are being used. Uh, and then uh, we have like really high tech tools like LSOS to find open files, uh, PHP spy to, to index, like what, what is the server actually doing? Uh, Redis monitor to find out what Redis is doing, uh, my top to find out what MySQL is doing, like all these specialized tools for debating certain situations. I like my top as well. It's um, not a lot of people understand um, how to debug a database. Uh, <laughs> mostly because people don't, quite possibly, I'm assuming here, but from the feedback that I've gotten, they don't fully understand what a database is. And it's a relatively flat thing in and of itself. Um, even though it's not flat, but like base concept of this is how it works and this is how it works. There's not a lot of wiggle room in how it works. Um, to then be able to have a tool that sort of intercepts what's happening. Um, I, yeah, I've seen many, many cases where, um, my top just tells you in like the first command, like, okay, here we go. This is it. Move on. Yeah, and, and this query is locking the table for 30 seconds and nothing else getting through. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 This doesn't, this doesn't look like behavior we want. What's, uh, what's going on here? Yeah. So those are, those are cool tools. I like those. The, um, um, my top is a good reference again to, to mention and, uh, PHP spy. I'm definitely going to check out. So, um, last question for you. Um, cause I think we're closing up on the hour. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I give a question then as we're waiting to ask you as well? Oh, yeah, sure. Or so, um, you, you've organized tons of, of work, WordPress, WordCamp gatherings. Uh, and, and I can imagine that there's, uh, um, recurring challenges that you've seen since Organizing the first WordCamp Europe in Leiden up yep. until uh, like uh, June this year in in Athens. What are the the, the uh, recurring challenges that you think like every single time where we're organizing this? Wh why is this happening? Wh why why is this still the challenge? Why why are we still having so much problems with this? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. So I think the, um, I think I, I don't know, I, I stopped counting, but I think I'm in somewhere in the 20, 
different WordCamps that I've organized in one way or another. Yeah. WordCamp Netherlands and, and then WordCamp Europe and uh, WordCamp North Nederland. Yay. Um, I think the, the, the most difficult thing still is communication and, and it's a very, very easy one to use because, you know, isn't life about miscommunication in and of itself? Yes. Um, but in, in terms of an event, um, people have an expectancy of what is going to be there. Um, and whether that is, for instance, the diversity of the speaker team, or whether that is the availability of sponsor uh, uh, packages and what is in them and what is not included in them, um, in, in communicating the tickets, like what am I getting as an email confirmation, what information is in there. There's a lot of stuff, there's a, a lot of, lot of stuff that when taken care of correctly, will take away a lot of insecurities, uncertainties, and just general lacks of information. So um, what I see still happening um, is, is certain things just not being communicated on time. And there's, there's often very, very valid reasons for it. For instance, uh, Work of Netherlands, uh, we sent out the confirmation of uh, who was selected for a um, uh, presentation. Um, this September, and we were a week late. Now, there were many reasons why that was, um, but the you're so busy in your work, because uh, you're doing this on the side, uh, but you're so busy in the work of selecting, and there's stuff coming up as you're doing that, that you forgot to mention, hey, we're running a little bit late, which is, you know, for instance, something that we I think we should have mentioned uh, in an email, and you didn't. Now. Yeah, most are fine with that, but some go like, no, I've been waiting till the end of 1st of July, first week of July, and they haven't heard anything. So I'm assuming I'm not selected. So that's a good example of where communication is always something that is never, um, you can hardly over communicate. Let's put it like that. So I think my biggest lessons, uh, till this day still is, uh, strive to get as close as possible to over communicate. Yeah. That's not just your presentation. Over communicating. Well, it may sound, seem, feel like you're over communicated, but you rarely are. Mm. No, but then this, this, uh, I noticed this in, in my daily job as well. I'm like, I called a couple of people yesterday and then called a couple of people today. And like, you need to get the message out to everyone yeah. and need to get, the message out often more than once yeah. because sometimes goes past and, and people think about other things and, uh, or, or, or hear, uh, conflicting messages or whatever. And then you need to remind them this is, I'll give you another, this is a mini event what you and I are having right now. Um, you filled out a form, you picked a date and a time you filled out a form. And upon hitting submit, you were redirected to another form. In that form, I ask a few things. Yeah. The first version of that form and the confirmation you got upon submitting of my form is quite different from what is currently there. And that's because I keep learning on little things of feedback, like how does this work? How does that work? What do I should take into account for this? 
the current version says something explicitly about make sure you're in a room that has a little bit of to no echo. Uh, get a microphone if you can have one, a separate one, you know. Uh, and um, and also in terms of preparation, we ha I, I book a slot of ninety minutes, but the recording is not ninety minutes. We have you know thirty minutes to figure out stuff, which in our case uh, we. <laughs> For instance, a good, yeah. good example. So these are the things that you learn. So the it's not just communicating. It's also learning of the feedback that you intentionally or unintentionally get and then incorporate mm -hmm. in your future communication. So, yeah, it's um, that, that was an interesting question because the, I, 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 I genuinely think that the communication part is the hardest part of anything in the realm of collaborating with other people. And whether there is th those people buy a ticket from you, whether they're speaking, whether they're sponsoring, whether they're showing right. up for the for the for the for the speaker sponsor dinner in terms of of uh, of an event, that's always the thing that you never over communicate. That's I've never yeah. heard anybody say, "Look, you send me six emails now. It's it's enough. I'm opting out." I've heard anybody say that. Yeah, especially for something there's. Uh, uh, sort out by themselves. Like I want to go to exactly. Work camp. I, I want to speak at work camp. And then yeah. No, that 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 would be my answer. So from the very first time that that I organized one, which is two thousand nine, till the current one that I'm or organizing uh, work camp Netherlands uh, twenty twenty three uh, in September. Um, that is a consistent thing because we work with varying teams, right? It's not it's never the same team. So I had certain certain responsibilities lie with somebody else, uh, different combination of people. You know that means stuff is going to change, um, and that's very hard to continue. So if it's if it's just me or two other two or three other people, then you have rules within your little team. It's much much easier. But if you have a fluctuating team, it's very hard. Yeah, have communication be uh, on point all the time. It's just difficult. That's the that's the downside of, I guess, working with volunteers. That's a yeah. good question. I like it. Uh, and now I forgot what my final question to you was. So, uh, good one. Good good diversion. <laughs> Dodge it. Uh, I guess so. I guess so. Well, uh, on that note, then, uh, uh, thank you for, uh, for uh, being on the podcast. I've enjoyed this conversation. I think a lot of people having listened to it, have learned a lot about accessibility and how it's an integral or should be an integral part of whatever you're doing. Um, we talked Definitely, about yes. moment stuff as well. So uh, that's always a favorite of mine. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for asking.